0: Um, My name's Anthony. Uh, If we don't know each other, I'm the pastor here at at Valley Hope. Um, Just uh, a quick note for all of our members, we do have a very, very short congregational meeting immediately after the service. It really is very short. There's one thing that we have to do. It'll take a few minutes. We do need you to come. (laughs) Uh, You don't need to worry about lunch. I mean, we're all worried about lunch for our kids always, but this won't add to that challenge, uh, but as we're talking about five to, to 10 minutes, really, that's the extent of the meeting, uh, and then we'll be done. So please plan on staying after that. Um, I do wanna say, Noah's not here uh, today. He told me he might not be, but uh, Noah Lukowitz, I was last evening uh, in Graham Chapel in Montreat to uh, watch him receive his Eagle Scout, pin, um, which was really cool. If his project was incredible, uh, some of you contributed, help, uh, f- support that financially. He made the, uh, the Lake Tomahawk Park wheelchair accessible. It was a massive project, uh, that he did even through COVID, which is remarkable. Uh, and he's got, obviously, if you know anything about scouting, I know very little, uh, but I know it's a lot of work to get to the point of being an Eagle Scout and, uh, He's. If you get a chance, congratulate him uh, and his parents uh, because they're also part of that journey. Um, yeah, we're, we're super proud of him and, and all that he's accomplished. All right, um, you can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter ten. <clears throat> During this uh, this missions month, uh, we're you're hearing from multiple people uh, and. We're figuring out how to fit everything that we do on a Sunday, and, uh, and basically for the next month, I need to preach more like an Anglican and not talk so much, and uh, I, I'm going to do my level best to, to do that. I do go to an Ang- Anglican seminary for my doctoral program, so I have, like, training by watching them. I'll just try to be a little bit more like them without the robe uh, at this point. Um. We're, we're going to cover all of Acts chapter 10. I'm not going to read all of Acts chapter 10 out loud. I'm just going to fill you in on the points that we're going to skip over. This is the story of Peter and Cornelius. And it kind of shifts scenes. And the first scene is the scene of this Gentile Roman centurion who is a, what's called a God-fearer. He's interested in following the Jewish God but is not converted to Judaism fully. And he's praying and God sends an angel and he's scared because angels are scary. And uh, the angel says that he's going to send somebody to him uh, to tell him uh, what he needs to hear. And then the scene shifts to Peter. And this is verse 9 of uh, Acts chapter 10. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. and Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well known by, a whole, by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, and to hear what you have to, to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. And the next day he rose and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. Now, they get to the house. They get to Cornelius' house. Cornelius falls down to worship Peter, and Peter says, don't do that. Uh, I'm just a guy. Stand up. Um, And Cornelius kind of explains the circumstances of how all of this has happened, and he's basically like, what is it? What are you supposed to tell me? And Peter knows exactly what it is he should say. How God appointed, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and evil, good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear Not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witnesses that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word. We pray that we would hear it, and that we would hear it not just with our ears, but we'd hear it with our heart. Father, we ask that you would convict us of sin, and that you would proclaim to our hearts the good news of the gospel, and that we ourselves would receive once again the joy that you have proclaimed an avenue of being cleansed and cleaned and made whole, in you, through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> well, this uh, it's good to be here in Acts chapter 10 uh, together as we start, uh, what is this, this Missions Month. Um, and I, I, I knew as I was choosing this sermon series that... Uh, that i had reasons for wanting to, to go through the book of Acts, and uh, the idea of Missions Months, w- w- Month, which came from our missions team, um, our missions committee, kind of came at the same time, or, or a little bit thereafter, and I didn't exactly coordinate my preaching series with Missions Month. Uh, I knew thematically that it would probably go hand in hand, Um, I did not plan for us to land here at Acts chapter 10 today, the first Sunday of this month of Missions Focus, uh, but it's perfect that we do. And uh, the whole movement of the book of Acts is kind of moving towards this middle hinge of the story, which will project everything outward. And my hope for us this morning and over the course of this month is that we might together also arrive at a kind of hinging point, uh, especially as we take in what has happened to us and in us over the past year and a half, that we might all acknowledge individually and together the need to kind of pivot and turn and face outward. And my, I think the Missions Month uh, has some really helpful themes and tools and signs to point us in the right direction. And what I'm asking for you to do is to pay attention to them. And what I what I want you to do is to pay attention to the signpost and that we all might together go in this direction of travel together. And what I don't want you to do is to misread the signposts that we're putting up all along the way in Missions Month. And to become confused and to think for several weeks Uh, I'm going to come to a church meeting and they're going to talk more about people far away and then I can check the missions box on my life. That was enough. Thank you very much. See you next year. That was nice for missions. If that is our understanding of what missions is, then we'll come out of this month more confused than when we entered it. And what we need to do is attend to the entire Word of God. We need to attend to this Word of God and understand that what we're looking at and celebrating and praying for this whole month is in concert with what God is doing every single day of our life in this place for every year of our life. And so we don't get to check the missions box and move on at any point along the way. In Acts chapter 10, the horizon explodes into life for the early church. We've been looking at this series of conversion stories, and in many ways, it's building to this story. Because something will be unlocked in this early church, and their imagination about what God might do in the world is kindled into something new and roaring with the life of the Spirit so that then they can re-understand what Jesus has told them to do to go even to the ends of the earth. Cornelius is a a God-fearer. He is interested in following the God of Israel, but he has not taken the steps to become Jewish. He has not become circumcised. He's likely not obeying the dietary laws. He's just interested in the Jewish God. He is an upright man. He's the, the text speaks of him favorably. That he's honest and earnest in his devotion. And God sees him. And what we first have to notice is that God sees him and hears his prayers and sends a person. He sends an angel, right? And in that moment, the angel could supply all the information that he needs. But... The plan of God in the world is not just about information transmission. And if it was, this could have been a very short task in Cornelius' life and in the whole world in general. Because God could broadcast information immediately to all people like that. But he doesn't even do that with one man here in Acts chapter 10. What he does instead is said, there's a person coming to you. And Peter has to be prepared, the entire early church has to be prepared for this new movement of God in the world. And there's nothing wrong with Peter's not understanding what God is calling him to do. He sees a vision and and he is told when he sees all these mixture of animals that he's supposed to take and eat. Now, when I'm hungry, standing in the midday sun, I'm about ready to eat anything. But Peter is a good Jewish man. And the animals that are kind of filling this blanket, he knows, are unclean. And so his response is biblical. I can't eat those. I never have and I I never will. I would never do that. And then God tells him a new layer of the story. Do not call unclean what I have made clean. He hears it three times. And then, lo and behold, three men appear at the door, unclean men. And Peter follows them, eventually, into their home. And we'll see uh, this is a repeated issue for the New Testament church. That they cannot, some portions of the New Testament church... Cannot get their minds around this next step. Peter enters into their house and eats with them. It becomes a constant point of focus and tension within this early, entirely Jewish church. That the early church might be called to enter into unclean spaces. And to eat unclean food with unclean people. And hear me, they are not wrong in their understanding of what has happened. They are just a step behind in understanding how Jesus has changed the game. Because it is true that it was forbidden, ritually, for a Jewish follower of God to defile themselves to be around ritual impurity like this. It's true. It's not a misreading of the law. The law is is clear that with all kinds of ritual impurities and uncleanness, you're supposed to remove yourself from the ritually clean body. And that if a ritually clean person comes into contact with a ritually unclean person, the clean person becomes unclean. And there has to be a a containment of the uncleanness, or the body itself becomes defiled. And Israel is supposed to be a separate kind of people that demonstrates to the whole world what it means to live under the gaze and in relationship with a holy and clean God. And the early church has lived under this ethic for the entirety of their lives as they should. But what begins to happen is that the life of Jesus is translated into the life of the body. And if you go back and you read the Gospels, what you notice, if you pay attention, is Jesus repeatedly changes the dynamic of what is clean and unclean. Because Jesus is unafraid, as a clean person, of being made unclean. He, in fact, repeatedly commands unclean people to come closer to him. And will put his hands on people who are unclean before they are made clean and declared clean. One famous example, a leper is spotted by Jesus. And and the leper's plea is, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And the action is described very clearly in the Gospels. Jesus' response is he touches him and said, I am willing. And then he makes them clean. And Jesus himself is not defiled by their uncleanness, but instead is able to make them a clean person. He reverses the flow. So the unclean can be made clean. Now Jesus is obviously singular. There's nobody who's exactly like him in all of human history or in the scriptures. But Jesus' kind and quality of life is now flowing into and through this early church. And so what you start to see happen is that Jesus' character starts to be replicated into these people. And they, at this point, do not quite understand the fullness of that truth. So they are living at the edge of their understanding of the fullness of what God is doing and has done. And so what needs to happen is that the Holy Spirit has to shove them over the cliff. So they fully spread their wings and move in to what Jesus has called them to do to the ends of the earth. So Peter hears this vision, moves into these unclean spaces, unfamiliar territory, and starts to preach the thing that he's been preaching for all of the book of Acts. And he starts to move into this message and even says, you've already heard some of what's happening. You've already heard what's going on. And Peter does not get to finish his message. You have an interrupted sermon in the book of Acts. That's why it says in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, he was in the middle of the thing. And in that moment, there is a kind of unveiling. And what is entirely unexpected happens right before his eyes. And the Holy Spirit falls on these unclean, uncircumcised Gentile people And they begin to experience the same thing that these early Christians experienced in that upper room in Jerusalem. So that their Pentecost experience is replicated before their eyes. And these foreigners, these unclean ones, they begin speaking in tongues and proclaiming the name of God. They're not even baptized yet. And again, Acts is, is, is fine to kind of mess with us a little bit. We, we have a, a common understanding of the ordinary course of things. Somebody goes to preach, they hear the Word of God, they repent, they get baptized, they get filled with the Spirit, and sometimes things just get moved around in the book of Acts. And what Peter does not expect to find is that he is not dragging God with him He is, in fact, stumbled into the room wherein God was already working. He does not have to engage in some sort of song and dance to try to win the pleasure of an invading God. He is already working. So Peter can't even finish the sermon. And the Holy Spirit is falling full of power. And he's at work. And these Gentile people. And you will, will see this. This moment in Acts chapter 10 becomes this marker for the church. That they have to kind of come back and say, something's going on that is bigger than we understood. Their only previous understanding was, to follow the God of Israel, you first become an Israelite. And then you put your trust in Jesus. And what they will find is that God sort of rips out that middle step. And the invitation just becomes, listen, respond, trust. And Jesus' own life comes rushing in. Now what, what I want us to see and to reflect upon is that God calls his people, he calls you and I, to places that are deeply uncomfortable. Places that we rightfully may see as shameful, as unclean, that repel us. Peter's probable response to seeing that blanket full of unclean animals is a kind of repulsion, uh, is to step back. I can't can't be close to that. I can't eat that. That's that's gross. Peter's instinct, when he sees the doorway into an unclean man's house all on his own, would have been to back away and to come no further. And we live in a world that actually inflames that kind of response. We, you may think I live far away from a world that has, you know, qualms about whatever, eating bacon or not, uh, being around people who, you know, are, are not clean enough, hygienic enough. I, we don't live in that kind of world. This is a foreign world to me. Ideologically, we live in this kind of ritual purity world, probably at, a, at an amped up level more than in a long time. You have people who you put into categories and have been trained for much of your life to keep at arm's length. You don't want to be seen to approve of the things that they approve of, so you have to establish a comfortable enough distance so that you are not confused to be one of them. And we have... So amped up what this feels like in our world that if you don't do that hard enough, if you don't yell enough about your disapproval, it's not even just that you disapprove, but if you're not loud enough in your disapproval of your ideological opponents or enemies, you are still questionable. We live in this kind of ritual purity all the time. And the inclination of our world is the same as this one. That if you become compromised by not being clean enough, you will be cut off and cast out. We have all kinds of language to describe this. Cancel culture, purity culture, whatever you want to call it. it, There are some remarkable similarities. The only difference being we're not even trying to use God's law to set up those categories. We use all kinds of other schema to set up those categories. But you and I are called to listen to and attend to the scriptures to survey our surrounding neighborhoods. To survey in our mind the people that we could be around. And to ask, who are the kinds of people that I recoil from? It could be different for each of us. It probably is different for each of us. It could be for you about political ideology. It could be for you, somebody, people who who wrestle with their gender identity or their sexuality. It could be people who live according to different economic principles. And you recoil from them because you're like, I know, I know that they're wrong. And that is not the question. The question is, what will Jesus do to interrupt and to change their life? The question is not, how will I be contaminated by their uncleanness? But instead, the question is, how will the cleansing power of Jesus move in through me? Our world teaches us to be afraid and to be angry and to shove at arm's length. And the story of the gospel is of God spreading his arms and embrace and to bring you and me closer. The life of Jesus is flowing into this early church and transforming them. And that same life Is meant to transform us. And the second thing that we ought to notice. Is when we move. With Jesus. We will often find. That we are merely trying to catch up. With what he is doing. We are not trying to blaze new trails here. We are merely trying to follow up. And to catch up with what Jesus was already doing. And the only way that you fully get to experience that is if you move into these places that are deeply uncomfortable. If you and I build worlds built around our comfort and our schedule and our finances and our plans and everything else is really just revolve around fortifying our own comforts. You don't get to to really feel what it feels like to be out in the borderlands and to suddenly find Jesus there waiting for you. And that is the kind of life that God has called his church to. It messes with you. I'm I'm telling you, we'll see it in the text. It will mess with you. It, It creates conflict between these Christians trying to properly understand what it is that God is doing and where and when. It will mess with us together. But this is the message of the gospel that Jesus is the Lord over all, of everywhere, all the time, until the end of forever. And so anywhere that you and I are going, and at any time, that is a place where even there, Jesus is Lord over all. My invitation to you this morning is to stop and to examine your heart. That we might examine our hearts together. And ask the question, where is the place that we have recoiled from? Where is the place that, out of fear, we have clutched our kids and run away? We have slammed our doors and hidden tight. Where is the place where anger has caused us to push and to shove, rather to embrace? Would we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us in that moment? And my second invitation for you is to think really carefully and clearly about what Jesus has done for you. There is nothing appealing about you. You, in this story, are one of the ones about whom God has said, do not call common or unclean what I have made clean. And that if you are wrapped up in shame, if you are wrapped up in pride, either way, you are simply one of the ones that Jesus has put his hands on and made clean. And because of that, everything changes forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your overcoming and overwhelming love. We can can confess to you, Father, as individuals and as a church, that there are all kinds of people and there's all kinds of places where we have retreated. Maybe we've retreated because of fear or revulsion or shame or anger. We've backed off and backed away. We thought surely not there, surely not them. And we confess we've done that simply out of the organization of the busyness of our lives, pursuing and fortifying our own comfort. And Father, we ask that you would forgive us and you would convict us. You would open our eyes to what we have blinded ourselves from seeing. And Father, I pray for everyone within the hearing of my voice, online or in person, that they would hear the beckoning of Jesus. Though they be buried in shame, they would hear that you make them clean. Though they be consumed in pride at their own cleanness, their doctrinal superiority, their correct ideology. That you would soften their heart. And you would hear; they would hear that you are the one that makes them clean. We thank you for your great love for your people, for your body, for your church. We ask, Lord Jesus, that our life would more and more look like yours. By the power of your Holy Spirit and to the praise of your name. Amen.